Well, good late afternoon. Here we are, three o'clock already. I was glad I set it at three instead of two, though, after going up and getting back. I needed a nap. So, that worked out. I hear you got most of it here. It was almost complete. Not maybe high 90s, so that's good without having to go. I just wanted to go up there to be at Jerusalem and see it from there. Uh, maybe from my standpoint as a minister, more than anything, but uh, you can certainly see that it was happening and it was up there, so you got uh, you got a good view too. There at uh, where we were, there at the uh, eye. It was uh, it was a total, I mean, a complete. But the the ring on the left side was pretty narrow. It wasn't completely centered, just but we could still see the whole ring around it. Just it was just thicker on one side than the other. And the whole thing I thought was uh, the moon looked smaller than I had anticipated because they talked about it getting dark. Well, it got eerily twilight, sort of, but uh, not really dark because the moon is at its closest and it just didn't quite cover it as much as it would have. But uh, enough that it was a total annular eclipse anyway. <coughs> I find it interesting that all this Middle East thing broke out on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles and a week before this, of course, this couldn't happen until the new moon. And the new moon never occurs at the feast because it comes on the 15th of the day. But as far as all of that's concerned, this is about as, this war starting is about as close to, uh, or is it was as close to the eclipse as you could get and still uh, happen on the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, so, I'll tell you what, and I think you've probably gleaned this out of what you've read. There's not a whole lot out there. You kind of have to dig it out, but that was no surprise attack by any means. Uh, and I might get into that a little bit. But I, the, the first quote I want to give you, I don't know whether you saw this one or not, but it kind of raised the hair on the back of my neck. Pope Francis gave a speech in front of a lot of people, and this is almost a direct, a direct quote from him. I don't know if I have every word the same, but he said that Klaus Schwab of the WEF is more important than Jesus Christ. Just a flat-out statement from the Pope, if you will. He says that Jesus Christ is the son of Lucifer, so he's saying Satan is God, and that Jesus is just his son, in so many words. So, the Pope is Luciferian, or Satan-worshipping, in his own words. You might argue a little bit about the term Lucifer, which means light-bringer, and Christ is the one who brings light, Satan brings darkness, but he got that name, and the word there in Isaiah where it says Lucifer in the King James is actually Hellel, uh, not Lucifer. So, 
they may have their names mixed up a little bit, but there's no doubt they're referring to Satan himself when they say things like that. When they call themselves Luciferians, they mean Satan worshippers. <clears throat> then he went on to say that the reason uh, Klaus Schwab is more important than Jesus is that Jesus Christ was trying to save souls, and Klaus Schwab knows we need less souls. He's trying to kill souls then, uh, because the depopulation agenda, the Pope fully uh, endorses, agrees with, and is following. So if he calls Klaus Schwab, I call him Squab, that's kind of a, a, a young pigeon without feathers, uh, and he is still wet behind the ears, as old as he is. At any rate, uh, all these people are orchestrating this together. Uh, I have no doubt that uh, Netanyahu and the Israelis were in on the planning of the uh, inv invasion. Uh, other Arabs were. Iran was. The Pentagon most certainly was. And the CIA. See, these people are all globalists behind the scenes. Putin went through the WEF School for Leaders as well. So did Tony Blair. So did Trudeau. So did uh, Macron in France. I think that's his name. Macaroni. They all went through that School for Leaders under the World Economic Forum. So they're all globalists behind the scenes, and they're all pushing the same agenda. So they don't care who gets killed. They want them dead anyway, all of them, on both sides of the battle. But those guys get together and make plans for these things all to happen, and they orchestrate it. Putin already knows who's going to win World War III. It's all mapped out and laid out for him. In fact, uh, old man Pike, what was his name back in 1870s, who wrote uh, the letter, apparently, to outline the world wars. And I just read it again the other day. And he stated who would be involved in World War I and who would win. He stated who would be involved in World War II and who would win. He also outlined World War III and the powers that would be in it and who would win. So, Albert Pike was his name. He was the head poobah of the Scottish Masonic Temple. I mean, the head poobah worldwide. And he stated those things in a letter, at least it's attributed to him, but it did, uh, it was written, whether he wrote it or not, before 1900. So, World War One, Two, and Three were still ahead when he predicted what would happen. So, they have all this plan. The U.S. was quite aware that Pearl Harbor was about to happen. They wanted the U.S. in the war. 
So they didn't say a thing. They just sat back, didn't prepare for it, and let it happen. And the ships were sitting ducks there in the harbor. They knocked them off and outraged America, and suddenly we were in the war. Now, I see this shaping up. It may not come down exactly uh, as I have it pictured in my mind, because things, you know, you, you picture it, and it comes out a little different, or some different, or uh, maybe altogether different, but it seems to be shaping up uh, from the way Israel is, number one, reacting. Uh, whoever hired those Palestinians to go in and make that attack, and they were probably paid to do it, whether by the people in Gaza or maybe some of these global leaders paid them. Who knows? What about the when the towers fell? There were Arabs involved. But we planned the whole thing. There was one of the Bush brothers, George's brother, was in charge of security in those towers that went down. And there were witnesses all along of them scurrying about those buildings, doing something nobody knew what. And the one tower failed to go down, or went down, I'm sorry, and it wasn't hit by a plane. They either missed it with a plane or counted wrong, but when it, the detonations went off, it fell anyway without a plane coming near it. And footage showed that there was no fuselage or any airplane parts around the Pentagon. It was a cruise missile that went in there. This is all stuff we know. But I'm bringing it up to remind us that our own government is involved in all of this. The Pentagon wants to see a war in the worst way because they make all kinds of money off of war, and the government is willing to give it to them, and then they're able to sell munitions and all that kind of thing. And the corporations that support them pay them, and the CI is up to hearing everything bad that ever happens. FBI, too, for that matter. Our government is as crooked as a long snake. Now, how do you and I know what's happening? Because we go to Jeremiah 50 and 51, and we see in there that our leaders are going to shake hands with the northern army, the beast and the false prophet. The woman in Revelation 18 is a whore. That's us. And she's taking money from the world. You know, her politicians are in order to do what those leaders want. So God tells us our own government will sell us out. And I'll go back as far as, well, you could even go as far as Nixon real easily and even Theodore Roosevelt. I mean, uh, uh, the old man, not Ted, Teddy, but uh, Franklin. And see how they've been involved in this all along setting us up for a financial disaster with the banks and all, and taking us off the gold standard and silver, as Nixon did. But it's real easy to see when George H.W. Bush, the old man, talked about a thousand points of light. 
the Illuminati. He, he was already talking about it relatively openly before anything began to really develop. The Bushes are in on all this. They were in on the trade towers falling with the brother in charge of security there. Clinton is up to top of his head in all this, and Hillary too. Obama uh, may be the worst of all. I don't know. He may He's still back there pulling some strings, I think. And Biden is still a communist, even though he's an empty-headed communist. So they've all been involved. It's not just Democrats. The Republicans have been involved as well, all the Bushes. So they are selling us out and trying to destroy us. So how might this thing go? Had is the Israelis simply done some bombing and gone home, they would have exacted a certain amount of vengeance for what had happened. And there, just with the airplanes, they were killing at least as many and probably more than the Palestinians did. And the world went along with Israel up to that point. But when you keep on and keep on, and now have sent tanks and, and foot soldiers in there, to kill everybody you can kill and to keep pushing, then you have every Muslim on earth so angry he can hardly stand himself. That's what it's, that's the kind of anger it's bringing forth and out. The Arab nations, I read this morning or this afternoon, are already talking in specific detail about how to destroy Israel. Now, Israel seems bound and determined to destroy every Gazan they can kill. And they told them before they ever sent them into battle, we will not hold you responsible for anything you do. There will be no military trials no war crimes that you can commit. You can go in there and do anything you want to men, women, and children, and there will be no repercussions from it. So they gave them carte blanche to murder, rape, pillage, do anything they wanted to do. And the government won't even see it. In other words, they were telling them and the message was, whether it was exactly the words or not, they were telling them, we want every Gazan killed. That's our goal. That's our purpose. And Netanyahu even said they would turn it into rubble or sand or whatever words he used. <clears throat> but essentially that. Now that creates so much anger, not just with Muslims, but then it begins to affect the rest of the world who think it's an overreaction by far. And the Muslims are already planning on destroying Israel. I don't know exactly what their plan is yet. I think the Al-Aqsa Mosque may keep them from doing total destruction of the old city of Jerusalem. But if you're going to take Israel out, you've got to get rid of 
Tel Aviv and Jerusalem primarily, and then it's just small towns. Uh, but they'll have a way, I'm sure. Now, what's that going to do? Because Iran is going to be involved very heavily in that because they have the weaponry to do the most damage to Israel. And they already are just itching to do it and have been for a long time. Now they have, a, in their eyes, an absolute valid excuse to wipe Israel out of the Middle East, finally. Now, if Iran and all those Muslims and all those Arabic countries over there do that, we have, through our history, vowed that we would protect the Israelis. And once they got Biden's head kind of turned back around, he's saying the same thing now, though he backed the Palestinians a bit at first. He, he can't remember. He knows he's globalist and he knows he's... No, he doesn't know much of anything, really. <laughs> but he sort of gets it figures out if they put the cards up on the screen. He can, he can get it said. Nonetheless, <clears throat> that fits in with what I think Daniel 8 is talking about because we destroyed Iraq, broke their horn. Remember the goat from the west that doesn't touch the ground? I don't know who that could be but us. And now it says that we would break the horn of the Persians, and that must be Iran, and they claim to be the Persians. Uh, we got to break their horn, and then our horn will get broken. And it will be a coalition of the Northern Army, which I think will be led by Russia, uh, and China, and a whole bunch of other nations that will go uh, together to get it done. Now, this could show a divide then between the Muslim world and the northern world. Because there's back and forth there in Daniel 11, you know, it keeps talking about how the king of the south would come against the king of the north and back and forth two or three times. So, it could be that that is the divide that will be made the what Muslim world against Asia and Russia and uh, allies there. So World War III is on its way uh, to fruition. It's already started in Russia. But the Russians have just been dabbling around there with Ukraine. They could go in and crush Ukraine almost overnight if they made up their mind to just do it. They got all the sophisticated weapons, everything they would need, superior manpower, but the deal has already been made between the U.S. and the U.N. and China that Russia will be the one who leads the fight against America, and that they will weaken this nation to the point that it will be no problem for them to come in and win, easier even than Ukraine when it's all ready to be happening. So they'll march in and take over. Putin knows this. All those leaders know this. They go to the WEF meetings in Davos, Switzerland, and the blueprint is already made. Nothing is a surprise. It's all planned ahead. How do you think it's a surprise 
to have all those people come over and make that attack. And Israel already has their missiles laid out. They already have the planes gassed up and ready. They have 360,000 ground troops that amazingly got to the border and have all kinds of supply lines behind them to support them as they go in. They have to have that because there's no food or electricity or water or anything in Gaza. So they had to have had all that stuff prepared and ready as a support for those ground troops and tanks. they got to be fueled. they got to be restocked. So how do you make it a surprise when you have all this stuff ready, and then as soon as it happens, here we are. The border ready to go in. They weren't surprised. They were well prepared and had planned way ahead of time for that to happen. And you, you don't put together anything to fight the Israelis that they don't know about. I heard one Israeli uh, retired colonel or whatever he was say, we have the kind of surveillance that a cat can't go across that border that we don't see it on our screens in our military headquarters. They have satellites that watch everything that goes on. And you can't be preparing for war with hundreds and hundreds of people and get them all together and ready and all the communication that has to go on back and forth to get it ready. And the Israelis are hearing all of it. They have that capacity. No surprise. It's all planned. This whole thing is laid out. I hope we understand that. Now, God has laid it out in here for us. We can put these scriptures together and understand what's happening. People sometimes on the alternative view say, this could lead to civil war. I say, no, it will lead to civil war because Jeremiah says there will be violence in the land, ruler against ruler. That's civil war. And if you don't think a lot of people are going to get involved in civil war, once the leaders start killing each other, you've got another thing to think. Because it'll be wokes against patriots. It'll be mask wearers against non-wearers, or however it all shapes out. I've been telling you this for years, haven't I? I've, how many times have I quoted Jeremiah 50 and 51 here? <laughs> I hope you haven't been counting. You're about to run out of pencil. We've known. And now, I think this is it. It's here. Uh, they're, what they're doing right now over there, as I said is going to make the whole Muslim world just come unglued because they keep pushing and pushing and they know that Netanyahu has in mind to destroy them all. Russia just warned the United States, not Russia, China, just warned the U.S. today not to do anything stupid or you will pay mightily for it. Words to that effect. So, Threats are now going back and forth worldwide, nation to nation, uh, Muslim 
within their own nations and to Israel and to us. And on and on it goes. And we already have people incensed across this country uh, with people bearing banners from both sides. What is it going to take to set it off? Well, they started a small skirmish in the Middle East. What usually happens when that happens? Somebody comes in, shoots a few, they go back, exact vengeance and shoot a few more. It settles down again. It hadn't been anywhere near like this for 50 years. And this is the 50th anniversary of that 73 war. But now the globalists have decided we've pushed Ukraine about as far as it can go, and it's about to fall. So let's get the next phase started, and that'll be with Israel and the Arab world. And I think that that's what we're going to see, is the divide between the King of the North and the King of the South as this thing progresses. So it's not a matter of when it happens anymore, brethren. It's happening. Right now, they're over there killing those Gazans by the dozens and hundreds and thousands. And I keep seeing these reports about 2,000 killed. And I look at those buildings laying on the ground in absolute rubble, and I think, how could... How could you possibly not be killing tens of thousands of people already? And now the ground troops and tanks are moving in to do the cleanup. And Egypt has closed the southern border. Those people that Israel says go to the south uh, can't get out. They didn't just close the border. They put up a cement wall yesterday to keep people from coming through. And now they're saying to the U.S., yeah, we'll let Americans out, but you have to agree to pay. What did they say they had to pay? Something about rebuilding or whatever. But the U.S. had to commit itself to a huge uh, sum of money before Egypt would open the border for even the few American citizens who are still in Gaza. And American government, I don't believe us sometimes. It's just so hard to grasp. They told our people, we'll help, you, we'll help get you out, but you have to sign off that you will repay all the money that we spend getting your hide out of Israel or Gaza. The things we do sometimes, we'll send billions to Afghanistan, we'll send billions to, just send six billion to Iran as a nice gift, and we won't even pay for getting our people flown out on a military aircraft. Maybe only a plane full. And they got to come home and pay for that. At the same time, let's forgive all these Hundreds of millions in student debt. <laughs> you know, it's just crazy and upside down. But our government and our military don't care a bit about American citizens. 
We need to get that through our heads. Our government could care less about us. I've been taught most of my life that the American government would take care of me, that they love me, that they're a good government, that they, they are so balanced between the executive and the lawmakers and the enforcement and the judges that everything will be just fine. And this democracy or this republic is working wonderfully. And then I began to grow up past sixth, eighth grade, and I began to realize I smell something. You know, what what's Israel really doing with those poor people? Getting them out of their homes, getting them out of any kind of support they might have had there, even a bed, if no food and water, and making them march all the way to the south end where there's a new concrete wall built. What are they going to do? Just come on through and line them all up at the wall and kill them all right there? I don't know. Just a thought. But they're coming in the north end and they want as little resistance as possible to clean it all up and then they'll have them trapped like fish in a barrel at the south end. That's what it sounds like. Trap them and kill them. But by the time they get that done, there may be some bombs and stuff flying at Israel. In the U.S., we were prepared. We had our aircraft carriers ready to go. Didn't take them long to show up, did it? Our government was not a bit surprised. We helped plan it. I guess that's enough of that, but we need to understand what's... And I think a lot of you do. You know enough Bibles, you know enough prophecy, that you can kind of piece some of these things together. But I wanted to pull together some things They are already planning and have operable two systems of digital currency. You hear they're going to do this or they're going to do that someday. Uh, But the one that they talk about the most, what are the initials? I can't say it. I heard an interview where this one guy was saying they they have that together and there may be some resistance to it. This all digital currency, whatever they call it, to introduce. Now, they've already introduced it at a bank in northern Colorado. It's already set up. That bank will not take cash anymore. They will only take digital currency. So, it's a, it's a guinea pig. It's a test. To get it going. Uh, Nigeria is already using it. And they're coming up against a great deal of trouble over it from their people. But they've got it already past the planning stage and into the introduction stage. It's, It's ready to introduce. But they have another system that's very, very similar that can be integrated with the digital currency called the FAST system, F-A-S-T-T, which is in some ways maybe even more sophisticated, but they may wait until this crisis in the Middle East or whatever happens 
maybe some kind of a Muslim false flag in this country. Who knows what it'll take for the economy to begin to really crash, and then they'll be able to introduce it. But uh, it was said that the two systems can be integrated very, very easily as a worldwide thing, and then that completely bypasses the dollar. And we're going to get into this thing at some point to the point the world is ready then not to destroy Israel, but to destroy the United States. The beast and the false prophet hate her and kill her, Revelation 17. So, this isn't far off. I decided to call Wayne LeBaron while I was up there since we were close, and I thought about see if he had any word on his dad. And he got talking about how he thinks it's going to all shape up, but uh, not until 2345. He's young enough to live that long. I told him I, I think I'll check out before then, but... Uh, he thinks Bush is going to go come back and win the presidency and that he's going to be able to do what his dad's been talking about, set up a uh, community up there at Cedar City and uh, have greenhouses for people to live in, like the old man, and have a currency of his own that everybody can use and trade back and forth. Uh, the thought behind all of this is that there isn't really a Jesus. They have to set up the kingdom of God. Now, if you're going to set up the kingdom of God, who does that make you? Roth isn't really willing to admit it, but he thinks he's Jesus Christ reincarnated, along with Moses and Abraham and David. Uh, he's all of those which kind of sounds like too many personalities in one man. Like demonism, <laughs> if you will. But in his heart of hearts, he thinks he's Jesus because he's going to set up the kingdom of God. And now, it appears that Wayne, who is his next person to inherit, oldest son, it appears that Wayne has said, Dad's going to die and not get this done. Now it's my job. That's the way he sounded. So I told him about the 430 years and how that ended and how Ezekiel said if the 430 ended, then it is very near. It, it has come, it has come, it is near. It's not an echo again uh, through chapter 8. And here we are, not quite seven years, six and a half years later, and now it's come. <laughs> the time of Jacob's trouble is less than a stone throw away, if you will, because of the way it's developing there and all of the uh, attitudes of people around the world and the leaders around the world who also believe West Squab is, or Klaus Squab, Santa Claus uh, is the man. Now, is this shaping up? He's fairly old, uh, but this is fairly close. And the Pope is saying he is more important than Jesus Christ. 
is Klaus Schwab the beast? Is Pope Francis the false prophet? The Pope talks about a new religion called Chrislam. Uh, he is, he does not believe Christians are Christian. He believes that he needs a new hybrid religion that is greater than Christianity. And Klaus Schwab is helping prepare the way for the new religion. One world religion. And it won't be Catholic because Ultimately, the whole world is going to accept the beast and the false prophet. When the king of the north and the king of the south get their battles back and forth done, Daniel 11, the other scripture says the whole world will worship the beast. So somehow they've got to integrate it so that they all accept the beast and the false prophet whether it be kings of north, south, east, or west, whoever's left will not be able to survive unless they have the mark. Muslim or no Muslim, you want to eat and drink. So you accept the conditions to be able to eat and to drink. That is more important to people ultimately than religion, at least to most people. How about you and me? Would we rather worship Christ and starve to death or say, oh, okay, that won't hurt anything. Stick it in there and then I can eat and drink. That would be the easy way out. But Hebrews 11, I just went through not long ago and showed what some of God's people and prophets went through living in caves, being sawed in half, uh, being stoned, all kinds of things Hebrews 11 mentions. And then the apostles went through the same thing except for John. So, pressure will be put on us. And upon the 90% of Laodiceans who do not repent and turn to God, they'll be killed. Satan knows who they are. He goes after the remnant of her seed. He chases the church from Jerusalem to Zion and can't catch them. His army is swallowed up. Then he goes after the remnant of her seed, the other 90%. And he will catch them. So you and I have a very small lifeline, don't we? Very small. We have only one protection to even think about having. And it's a good one. <laughs> it's the only one. It's the only one that will work. You can do all the prepping you want and load all your guns. Are you doing any good? Satan knows where the light of the Holy Spirit is. You cannot hide from him knowing where the Spirit of God is. Because it puts out a light that he can see. You look down on a city of eight million and you see ten lights. That's easy. Go after them.
I thank God that we know what we know and have what we have and are where we are. This isn't distant prophecy now. This is here. It's realistic. It's real. I don't think this time it's going to be a false start and back off for 10 years or 20 years. I don't think so. It's already, as far as they've gone there in the Middle East already, it has incensed, I don't know how many Muslims there are, a couple billion I think. That's a lot of Arabs. And they're a wild ass of a man, God says, Ishmael. So, they have been stirred this time beyond, I think, already anything they've ever been stirred up against in the past. And Israel is doing this on purpose. I mean, they're defeated. How long would it take Gaza, after all this bombardment, and all those buildings and high-rises and streets and everything there, just piles of rubble, how long would it take without billions and hundreds of billions dumped in there by whoever? How long would it take those poor people down there who have almost nothing in day-to-day -day life was already a struggle? How long would it take to rebuild that whole thing? I mean, just the teardown would take an awful long time and a lot of effort. I've torn down a lot of buildings in my life, and I'd much rather build one than I had to tear down one. It's easier to build than it is to take apart and remove. So they're looking at a decade or two to even come out from under the rubble and start rebuilding a little bit when they don't have the money or the parts or anything to do it with. But Israel is determined to destroy them. I mean, kill as many of them as they can. Genocide. And that's what all these WEF heads of state that I mentioned earlier believe in. They're on the phone with each other today, talking about how well this is going, and how much harder should we push and telling Netanyahu how far he ought to go. Because they all subscribe to the same leaders. That's hard for my mind to truly grasp. Because we've been taught so long that these leaders are good people and they care about people and they care about their own subjects in their own country, Finland, Russia, wherever. But they care more about their pockets, and they care about more about their safety than they do all of mankind. I need to look that up. It crossed my mind earlier today. There's a scripture in Revelation that talks about destroying the trees. Does it say a third of them? A third of the fish in the ocean, a third of the trees, whatever. I think that's in there. I don't remember the exact quote. But I kind of tied that with Bill Gates. 
who recently said we need to destroy 75 million acres of trees. Has Bill Gates tapped into the book of Revelation and Satan? I'd say pretty closely. Pretty closely. So it's not just the heads of state, but people like Bill Gates and Henry Kissinger and George Soros and all these people that are also there who are not heads of states, but they're heads of billions of money. Nothing is done without BlackRock being involved. Whoever heard of BlackRock ten years ago? There were some in Yosemite, I remember. There's a few around here. Volcanic ash and stone. BlackRock. I saw a list the other day. It just went on and on of the major corporations that BlackRock owns or has a controlling interest in. I mean, things like huge companies like Exxon and IBM, Ford Motor, they own and control. And the list just, it just went on and on and filled the pages of names that I not only knew the name, but I knew the insignia of and everything because they're everyday things. They are in a position to tell Target what to sell and what not to sell. They're in a position to tell Anheuser-Busch to push transgenderism with Bud Light. And they're losing a lot of money over Bud Light because people just quit drinking it. Somebody offered me a Bud Light when I was there in Colorado. They had a sale on beer at the bar. I went in to watch a football game. So they had a sale, and Bud Light was the one sale beer. And then this guy is trying to sell me a Bud Light. I says, I'm not a transgender. Why would I want that? He said, I agree with you, but it's all we have on sale. But BlackRock is in a position to tell these people what to do or else. Because they're combined with the central banks and they tell them what to do. BlackRock and Vanguard tell the Fed, the Fed we call it, what to do, when to raise interest, when not to. They have control of all these major corporations and they have virtually every senator and politician of any kind, bought. BlackRock and Vanguard own them. They do whatever they're told. Satan's vice is getting stronger and stronger and stronger over this world to the point you can't do business without their approval. Bank of America just closed what was it, 31 branches this week. Wells Fargo closed 15 branches this week. And uh, Chase and which other one? Citibank. That's the same now, but the four biggest ones are closing branches of the bank right and left. I think they're preparing for digital banking 
<clears throat> they're getting everything they can out of everybody. And now they're shutting it down in many places where you have trouble withdrawing your money. And the bank teller asks you, what are you going to use that money for? What difference should it make to a bank teller what you're going to spend your money for? But they've been trained now to ask you, what's this money for? Why should we give it to you? By law now, they own that money. When you put it in the bank, it becomes theirs. They don't have to pay you back. Like in Cyprus, where they went ahead and did the bail-in. They could have money right there in the safe, and they're not obligated to give it to you. That stupid thing that Obama signed, or Patriot Act, or whatever it was, that got that changed. Now, when you deposit it, it's theirs. And if they be nice today, and they be good today, and things aren't too bad in the stock market today, they'll still give it back to you two or five thousand at a time. But you go in and try to make any big withdrawal, and you start running into all kinds of red tape. Because it's their money now. That's hard for me as an American citizen to grasp right there. I've always been free as the breeze. I could come and go and do as I please. Put money in, take money out, borrow money, jump in the car and go to New York, jump in the plane and go to Australia. I can't do that anymore. I'd be afraid to go most countries today as an American citizen. And now that You've got the Muslims stirred up so badly, and they're in every country, they're on every continent. You're in danger anywhere you go, walking the streets of New Zealand even, which used to be a wonderful, peaceful place. You might get stabbed. They've been stabbing people around the world since this war started. People wind up with knives in them. Anywhere. It's like South Africa. Just being there is enough to get you stabbed. It's been that way there for quite some time. I think I had angelic protection traveling all over the south end of Africa, several different countries, by myself, in a rented car, obviously not an African, Because I know people. I knew them by name. I've shaken their hands. I've hugged them and held their children over there. They got killed. To me, that's real. Nicest people you'd ever want to know in Elizabethtown there in South Africa. They had a store out some miles from town. And they were taking care of the black people there as a store. And this had been going on for years and years. Those people didn't have transportation to go to Elizabethtown to get supplies. So here, the boys, what was his first name? I can't say it right off the top of my head. 
at a store. They could come buy their stuff. One day he was there minding the store, and his wife was in town with the kids for whatever reason. And three black guys came into the store and just shot him. He staggered back into the office, and they came in there and shot him some more. He's a tough bugger. He got up again and went across the yard and into the house, and they came in there and finished him off, which is where his wife and kids found him when they came back from town. Now, he was there helping those people. But it didn't matter. He was white. We had another couple up on the... Uh, not Zimbabwe, what am I trying to say? Uh, their farm came up against the border. And there were raids from... Was it Swaziland, maybe it was. Uh, raids across the border. When I went to see those people, I... I walked out there because I wasn't going to have a chance to go to Swaziland. So I went to their fence and stuck my foot under it to say I had had my feet in Swaziland. I, I have this thing. I like to count up the number of countries that I've been in. So I pushed it and counted that one. But anyway, they had a big fence around their house and several big German shepherds that I would not have wanted to go inside the fence to see. Not a chance. They were mean rascals. <laughs> and the only thing that kept them from being those people, a couple, an elderly couple, Nelson knows them, from being killed, was they had a gun and they had those dogs. Their barn had been burned at one point. And then they finally had to leave there because it had become too dangerous to stay. And what those people do is they come across, kill the farmer and his wife and family, they eat the animals, and they use the house and the barn for firewood. You've got to cook the beef, so you start pulling boards off the house. So it doesn't take very long until the whole farm is gone. Nothing there. No people, no buildings, no nothing. And then they move on. They don't stay there and plant a crop and raise something to eat. They didn't take over the farm. They just took over to use what was there and move on to the next. We had another, a young man, he was eh, pushing 30, Hadn't married yet. There weren't many girls in the church, for one thing. But uh, he did have a girlfriend. And they were in the finest, biggest, richest mall in the nation. Up at... Uh, huh? Yeah, it's outside Johannesburg, Pretoria, where the, the capital is. Nicest mall in the country. They've been in shopping. wasn't even closing time. He and his girlfriend walked out the doors, main doors on the mall, and a black 
couple black guys standing there stabbed him a couple times, almost killed him. And he didn't know them, never seen them, didn't know who they were, but he was white and he was there. That's all it takes. Now, I'm talking about a small group of people that I knew there. And you start adding these things up, and there are quite a few percentage-wise. There was another fellow there that attended. He was from up around Johannesburg, but he came down to the feast near Cape Town. And his dad always, everywhere he went, he, this guy was grown, of course, but his dad was not in the church, but he was. He said, everywhere my dad went, he had a gun in his lap as he drove the car. So he stopped at a light, and he was accosted from this window and from the driver's window. So he pulled his gun up and shot one of them and killed him, and shot at, may have hit, don't know, the other one because he was accelerating at the same time. But out of how many people did we have at a feast there? 40, 50? Not many more than that at any one time. And how many stories have I recounted here of people I know who were either killed or nearly killed out of that many? Dangerous place to be. And now with the Muslims stirred up, it's like a Muslim against a Christian or a Muslim against anybody that doesn't speak an Arabic language. And it's reaching the same proportion of danger. Because they're already starting to stab people on the street just by happenstance. And this thing's only a week old. Not very long. But here we are. I didn't mean to talk about this the whole time. I was going to get into the Scriptures, but we're living the Scripture. We're living it. I could go back and I could tell you just about everything that I've said today of how it would develop and where it would develop and where it's going next. We could go through all those Scriptures and outline it. But we don't even have to open it today. All we have to do is point out what's happening where, and it fits what we have been going through for 25 years and more. This book knows what it's talking about. You know, the only thing I trust of all the things that are written is this book. There are a lot of volumes of all kinds of stuff that have been written on the earth, and you cannot trust any of them completely. Some are better than others, but this is the only thing you can trust. And you know how much I believe and trust of what I hear? Just what I say. <laughs> and I wouldn't say it unless I believed it. So since I believe it, I trust it. But, I wouldn't believe what I say if I didn't have these words to show me what is right and what is wrong and what is going to happen and what isn't. 
Because I hear on the alternative news a lot of people saying a lot of things. And you know what? A lot of them are as sincere as the sunrise. They are totally sincerely believing the things they're saying. And they believe them to be absolutely true. Now, Dave Hodges, for instance, I think most of us know of him by now, probably all of us. He's been putting up some really good stuff lately and doing a lot of good analysis. But he says some things from a Protestant background or from his opinion that he is very, very serious about and he's absolutely dead wrong. Now, a lot of what he says is right and it's good and he's got good analysis most of the time. But not always. Now, I take Steve Quayle to be a very sincere man. I know him. I've talked with him several times in person. And he believes what he believes. I don't have to keep the commandments. I'm saved. And I don't even argue with him. <laughs> I said that in an offhand comment one day in a, in a meeting, well, I'm working at being what I ought to be. All that set him off. You don't have to work at it. You're saved. If you're saved, you can do anything you want. That's what he's implying. I bit my tongue. I almost said, well, Steve, I'll be over this evening at 6 to pick up your wife. We're going to dinner. Um, no problem with that. You shouldn't have any problem. It's not a sin. It won't. I can take your wife out and God doesn't mind because I'm under grace. <laughs> In fact, I can take her out and kill her, no problem. Except to you, because God doesn't care, I'm under grace. So, you've got some very sincere people out there. And a lot of what they're saying is true. But there's a lot of things they're saying that you better be thinking. Now, that's why, if I read on a site like Steve's, a title... And somebody says, I had a dream in 1953 about what would be happening now and it's happening. I will not go there. I will not listen to it. I will not read it. It is so easy for Satan to deceive and to get you thinking along a wrong way. And it can be 99% correct with a little twist. That's all it takes. Now, Christ himself knew this book better than anybody. He inspired the men who wrote it. He told them what to write. He knows this book thoroughly. And he knows, he can quote it word by word all the way through. No problem with a mind like his. So here comes Satan, and his only chance is to convince Christ to go against this word. And he quoted the Scripture perfectly, did he not? He said, it says this, and what Satan said to Christ was absolutely right, and it was scriptural. Except that the context he was saying it in was a little twisted. 
just a little twisted. And it would have been enough to fool a lot of people, most people. But Christ immediately came back with a scripture to count it. No, I'm not jumping off the temple. I wouldn't hurt my foot. That's right. But I'm also not to tempt the Lord my God. About three episodes of that, and Satan says, well, it doesn't do any good to close Scripture to it. <laughs> so you have to be careful. That's the bottom line there. I'm very careful about which men I'll listen to and which ones I won't. And if they've got a religious background and they're trying to teach prophecy, I don't want to hear it. In some cases, they have a lot of info right. They really do. A lot of them have interpreted some things, and they're coming up with some right answers. But I also know that as Christians, they don't know it, but they worship their father, the devil. And it doesn't take much to twist it just a little. How many New Testament scriptures say, keep the law, if you want to enter into the kingdom or enter into life, keep the commandments? I mean, in as absolutely plain a language as you could say, if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. Can anybody gainsay that? There's nothing there to argue with, is there? But they'll go back to Galatians where Peter said, Paul wrote things hard to be understood, and they'll take a half a verse or a little phrase, and they'll say the law is done away with and we're all completely under grace and you don't have to have any works. I'll show you my faith by my work. I mean, you can go on and on with clear, plain scriptures, but the whole Christian world has taken a couple of not too carefully worded or maybe, maybe Paul worded them very carefully so that people could be taken and snared and deceived. But if you compare them with a list that long of very plain scriptures, you can't really argue this one in Paul's writing and twist it out of context, leave out half a verse or three verses, and come up with churchianity that they have today. And they've deceived the whole Christian world, from the Catholics on through all the Protestants. And they all think the law is done away with. And all Jesus had to say was, oh, what about this scripture? Shut Satan right up. Went away frustrated. <laughs> because Christ won hands down. He's the only one I totally trust. In his work. And there you even have to be a little careful because men have translated it and not always known what the translation should be. And they shaded the translation a little bit to fit their churchianity, their Protestantism. So there are quite a few places in here where they've injected Protestantism by the way they translated it. So, we're not to argue over words. It says so right here by Paul. 
In his words, they twist and argue over the most. We're not to be Greek and Hebrew scholars. You can understand a little Hebrew. You can understand a little Greek. And if you're smart enough, maybe you can go ahead and be a scholar. But I ain't that smart. I ain't going to be one. Now, if there's a word in there that doesn't seem to fit the rest of the plain Scriptures, then I do go to the Greek or the Hebrew and find the definition and check it out. But I'm not going to spend my life arguing over words. Like some who left the church. There in Hebrew it says, Obey them that have rule over you. And they will endlessly argue what obey means and what rule means, and they'll have out their Greek and everything to prove it. And they can't prove anything because it's translated correctly. But they have trouble accepting that, so they keep resting and warring over words and trying to get it to say what they want it to say. We have to be careful. Be careful. You need to be careful with me. You got a book? We all bring a book, don't we? Check it out. Am I reading it wrong? Am I reading it right? Am I putting my own idea in there, or does what I say fit the context? I didn't used to preach like I do today. I went to the old Ambassador College thing where you had to have a different subject every week and you had to have something, tell a story or whatever, uh, to build a sermon from scratch. And you have scripture, of course. But you had to have something different and interesting and exciting like they taught you to do in Ambassador Club, speech class. No, most of the time, and maybe it's the easy way out, I don't know, you'll find me going through scriptures, won't you? This is what I want you to know, is what this book says. And it's my job, as it says in Ezra, to make the sense of it. It's my job to show you what the context is around it, and therefore what it means to your life and mine. Not just to read it by rote and say, okay, we, we had our Bible study today, we read seven chapters, and that's enough, with no expounding. No, I have to pray to God that He will give me the sense and the understanding so that I can pass along to you what that means and what it means in your life and what you should do with it. That's my job. So, most of my preaching now, not always, not today, is reading Scripture and talking about what it says and how it fits. Because I don't want to lead you astray in any way, and I don't want to lead me astray in any way. I want us to get the absolute truth. Now, I think the things that God has showed us in this book are proving true today, this day, in the Middle East, and in Russia too, for that matter. And our leaders selling us out. And we're looking at and have today a little bit of what they've done. They've done a whole lot more than I've covered to sell us out. Obama hates this country. 
Biden hates this country. They're communists. They don't believe in democracy or republic. They believe in communism. And they're working hard to destroy this country. There are some people in our country who do not know this book who see that. They see what the actions of these people are and what their ultimate goal is, and that's the destruction of this country. We can see it with our eyes, but we see it here first. And then it helps us interpret what we see with our eyes. So we can look at the Middle East and see more. The world can look at these three eclipses and see the Alpha and the Omega. And that could, be, that could mean that the judgment is passed on this country. But they can't look at it like you and I can and see where the end time church started and how two of those come out of it. One goes out through South Carolina, one through the blood of Christ mountains and out the body of Christ in Texas. And the other one comes down and makes the X the end in Little Egypt, Illinois. And they can't see how that affects the church because they don't even know where the church is. But we can see with a whole lot more clarity than any of these people that are on these websites that talk about the Alpha and the Omega and what it could possibly mean. We know what it means to the nation. We know the time of Jacob's trouble is very near, maybe only months away now. May not be a year. We got another eclipse coming on the first day of the new moon, or the first day of the new month of the new year. Fourteen days from Passover. They don't know about that. They don't know how to even talk about it. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one of the things we know because what God wrote here long ago that we can read and trust that it will happen that way. We may not understand every aspect of it, but that's our lack of understanding. It's not what the book says. But we see something happen and we'll say, oh, I thought that meant this, but it also means this. It can be two or three applications and fulfillments all at once. Like these three eclipses. They can mean an awful lot about the judgment of this nation. They can mean an awful lot about the return of blessings to the church. Both. It's all there. And you and I can get it. I'm not talk too long, so let's quit.